and welcome to Season 2 of Check Your Beer. My name is Amy Todd, I'm the owner of Zymology Labs, and I help brewers make better beer through analytical testing, consulting, and training. This season, I'm interviewing folks who work in beer quality positions. We'll learn how they got into beer, what their day-to-day looks like, how they grew their quality programs, challenges they faced, advice for brewers looking to start a quality program, the best part of their jobs, and much, much more. I hope this podcast motivates you and gives you ideas about where to start and how you can improve your own quality program. Let's take a listen to our first guest. Hello and welcome everyone. Today we have Emily and Danny Wong, the owners of Firmly, a beer testing lab out in Denver, Colorado. So why don't you two start by telling us a little bit about how you got into beer and why you decided to open Firmly. Danny, why don't you take this right. first? Uh, let's, let's take you guys way back, probably since uh, it's about 2009. Okay. I think the idea to start a brewery was was hatched way back when, even before Emily and I were together. Uh, at one point, we had, we were Denver's 10th craft brewery. This was back in the early days, 2011. Started a little brewery called Caution Brewing Company, and we were following the footsteps of the giants of your Great Divides, the Wincoop Brew Pub, the, the large Blue Moons and all that. We're like, all right, you know what? There's all these small breweries popping up in, around the nation seems like a very arduous thing to do um as far as finances knowledge equipment we were, we were kind of thinking you know what this is really hard no one's not a lot of people's going to get into this space we were wrong clearly <laughs> we started in colorado at the time i believe had something in the neighborhood of 100 some breweries now we have over 400. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a lot of growth in the last 10 years but we've seen the industry change obviously started this as a passion project that it eventually made into a career. Uh, it went from corporate to owning a brewery full-time. And then in 2018, we launched Firmly, which mm-hmm. we, you can speak a little more into that. Yeah, so we pivoted from Caution to Firmly because basically with Caution, we were having the same conversation every day of kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? And part of this issue was, you know, we were already packaging, we're already doing all the things that usually are connected to growing and getting your brand out there. But we, we just hit a point where it was just kind of stagnant. And, and where we what do we need to invest yeah. into? It's it's the, I use the space shuttle analogy, right? If you mm-hmm. want to go higher in orbit, you need more fuel and it never ends, right? There's never mm-hmm. just a path of great, we're done. We can write this and keep going up. You have to add more fuel to keep going. Over and, and over, over and over, and it's it's bigger and bigger growth, right? Distribution is the only way to really achieve that. But then that's the volume game. We all know that that is either either you have the ability to do two already with your pocketbooks, or you don't. Mm-hmm. So uh, we decided to pivot instead to firmly and doing quality um, for breweries, and we do that uh, both in terms of lab services and consulting. So we help people also streamline their processes. Uh, when there are issues and for the breweries that are just being reactive and having tests done on a regular basis just to for their own knowledge for their own peace of mind and also so that their brewers have more information to move forward with their processes on uh, they love that as well because they get to have access to a cores level lab without actually having to put up that money up front and they don't have to hire someone with that kind of educational background which can be kind of expensive and you're already struggling and we've noticed there's already a huge struggling disparity between front of house and the brewers and the quality people that honestly you don't want to add more issues to an already um overburdened system of inequality 
in terms of pay. All right, so what testing services do you offer? Well, basically, <laughs> whatever you can think of, when there, if there's a measurable analytic when it comes to beer craft beverage at this point. Yeah, we get we a lot of them done. Um, the most basic stuff when you're being proactive is brewer's metrics. So using an Anton Parr alkalizer and a UV Viz, we're able to do ABV, real and apparent extract, um, original and final gravity, uh, calories even. And then we also go into doing IBU, SRM, and pH. And those get you a lot of the standard metrics. And then we have the ability to test things when it's more reactive. And that goes to using a QPCR and plating when there are issues, or maybe you're just trying to make sure that there won't be any uh, down the line. Uh, QPCR, a lot more people are familiar with PCR because we've all talked about it now mm -hmm. with COVID, um, polymerase chain reaction. And that's just uh, checking to see if there's any genetic profile for any of the common spoilers. And then plating kind of gives you more of a broader look and helps you know if there's anything kind of growing. We also have um, added over the years um, doing nutrition testing so we can do carbohydrates and protein and sugars. So that helps for uh, people that are trying to get label approval for different, different states because they do require some nutritional information. We also do water testing and uh, we've been adding uh, more to our micro, being able to do shelf life stability and stuff like that, and pasteurization sure. testing. And you guys do a lot of work uh, at breweries too, like with DO testing, right? And do on-site packaging on -site support. Stuff, yeah. Having been through that sun and dance with packaging, as we all know, that most smaller craft breweries never had in their business plan to even think about packaging or canning. But when COVID hit, your tap room closed. Mm -hmm. That that pivot was necessary to keep the lights on because you can no longer just do crawlers out the door. You need packaged beers in some way. Mm -hmm. And with our knowledge of having been a distributing brewery with a full-on distributor all through Colorado and knowing the pitfalls of the equipment itself, of what packaging really is, there's just so many things that brewers haven't thought about when they made that pivot. Things like shelf stability, things like dissolved oxygen, quality of the beer itself. What does it mean when the beer is attenuating? Why is my beer can exploding, whether it's due to hop creep, continuous fermentation, or micro issues. And all those things are, are coming to play when you have brewers had to do that. And so we provide a lot of services in that knowledge in that respect to help the brewers really get the best packaged products out of the brewers they can. Mm -hmm. And then you also have your portal for results and nice, uh, but <laughs> like a pretty way to like look at all the data and make it more visual and yeah, so I'm talk we, a little bit about that. Exactly. I, I think we, we really took a look. My, my personal background is computer science, uh, graduated from Colorado State University. And for me, data means everything, but data without pr being presented in the right form is not actionable. You mm -hmm. have no way. It's just numbers and it's a bunch of a number soup. Yeah. So we wanted to be able to consolidate hey, if, if I was the brewer, what would I want to see that can help me make changes or improve what I'm doing? Only way to do that is to be able to lay the numbers out that we do through regular testing and see what that looks like over time, whether you have ingredient changes, obviously water profile changes uh, constantly throughout the year and or personnel changes. Sometimes mm -hmm. your brewer gets a, <clears throat> another offering somewhere else and they leave and you're, you have somebody new who may just be doing something different and you want to see what the changes Consistency is key these days again, right? Mm -hmm. So, especially after COVID, you lose that conversation behind the bar. Thankfully, it's pretty much over now as, yeah. as far as 
that goes. But people still have to deal with consistency issues a lot without realizing that, hey, one of the questions we used to get across the brewery was, hey, this batch is really good. Two months later, same regulars come in and go, oh, this batch is still really good, but what changed? <laughs> and you start thinking, well, what did change? We didn't change a thing. And they're like, yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little this, a little this. So things like that, where it's very subjective sometimes, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you talk to people that maybe they had an extra cigarette that day, who knows, right? Or maybe they had a cold. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's them. Maybe it's you. You don't you start questioning yourself with all numbers. Yeah. And you start wondering about your ingredients because, yeah. I mean, the alpha acids and hops, it can vary a lot. And you don't necessarily know when. <sighs> Uh, your hop or your multiplier has changed batches, and that's going to impact uh, your extract as well as getting out all of those alpha acids. And let's storage. Say, yeah, storage mm-hmm. is also a problem. Oxidation, all that's an issue with hops. So mm-hmm. it's something that a lot of people don't really consider until things really change. And I mean, we've had we've had breweries that sat there and they suddenly have a huge problem with hop creep, and it's because their supplier changed their hops and didn't inform them that hey this is actually a different batch the data sheet you had is actually from a previous one and suddenly they're scrambling trying to figure out oh my gosh how do we clean this up before we completely crash it so it's it becomes a really much larger problem when you look at it in terms of like oh how do i more efficiently learn how to use my ingredients Mm -hmm. and how do i apply that over time and if you can target when, okay, this is when there was a change in my malt. This is when I switched to a different malt. This is when um, we had an extremely, an, a crazy change in terms of um, alpha acids. Maybe it's like, okay, well, what, what did change? And then you can actually start going through and going, okay, was it part of the process or was it part of what my supplier did? I feel like I hear so many times and like brewers like don't even write down lot numbers on anything and it's like what how do you not how do you know when you've changed something or like what ingredients what beer that went into I've been hearing a lot of inconsistencies with malt lately and I think that's just gonna yeah. keep getting worse with all the barley issues lately going on climate issues yeah. Are yeah, it's, it's climate changes. and it's economic right mm-hmm. and that's the thing that people tend to miss specifically with malt right now is that because it was a very poor harvest across several continents um it was a wet harvest there was a drought a lot of those things are to consider but then people also are not considering the fact that hey so china is coming up and coming in terms of brewing china used to get a lot of their malt from australia but china and australia aren't having the uh, greatest time trading right now not going too far into uh, world politics on that. So they're actually buying their malt now from Europe. And Europe exports a significant amount of malt to the United States. The United States and Canada export a significant amount of malt to the Southern Americas, Central and South America. So we're going to be, so when you think about it, because China has shifted its focus, it's going to put more issues on the entire supply chain of malt that we normally have no issue getting and that's going to drive the price up and so then you're going to have to consider more and more how are you going to be able to brew more efficiently and still get the same beers and so you have these so you're going to have a higher price where not as good a quality as product as you want and so we really are going to have to be a lot more creative and frankly that's where 
the artistry in brewing and the science really need to come together. There's a, a lot behind the beer that not everyone realizes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are some, so from going from caution to firmly, what are some things that kind of looking back on it, you wish you knew when you were running caution about lab stuff that you're doing now? And how has your experience with caution helped you kind of develop what you what you offer from firmly? Well, I, a great question, actually. I think it actually it correlates pretty well between the two. I really wish that caution had access to a quality quality lab. Mm-hmm. In, in an affordable and quick way, like the, the way we built now. Mm-hmm. I think the idea for Fernley came from kind of the need that we saw at Caution. We had a lot of small breweries like, hey, wow, I wish I had access to this. Yeah, we called in favors to Coors. We called in favors to Blue Moon, Breckenridge at the time. Hey, can you run this for us? Obviously, they're like, sure, no problem. But it took a week. I already done my beer. Like, it doesn't really matter. Oh, you okay, great. I know. Now, obviously, there's something in it. But mm-hmm it's hard for me to make a decision being proactive before I package go, Oh, something wrong with this beer versus, Oh, it's already packaged. So I spent all this money on packaging, dis- distributor, all stuff back labels, time, what all that stuff is like, and then I had to pay to dispose of it. Like, Oh my gosh. Right. So things like that I, was one of the things where I really wish that we had uh, any kind of QAQC in our respect. We had sensory mm-hmm. and that's about what we had. With, without access to the equipment and being consistent. So Caution really kind of gave us the, the perspective of what would we want as a small brewery owner? And I think that's kind of where Firmly really got its entire idea from was what would we like to see? What's mm-hmm. our ideal situation for both uh, when it comes to cost, services, turnaround time, things like that. So, I, I, I mean, honestly, I think it kind of goes both goes hand in hand, to be honest, uh, with that. Mm-hmm. And coming into Firmly, looking at, we're learning a lot more about other small breweries operations when you kind of realize that not everyone's in the same model that we have at Caution. So we've learned a lot more with kind of the overall industry and how to better service everyone as opposed to just what we had wanted. But it was a great place to start. What is your favorite part about running Firmly? So I, I think my favorite part about doing firmly is actually doing kind of more of the detective work and working with breweries to figure out their um, how they can improve their processes as well as areas and opportunities for change where they can really save money, they can improve, they can improve on this process this SOP, if this is changed, then you're going to be saving money here, but also you're going to have a better quality product because you're going to have less oxygen. And uh, sometimes it's just, you know, it's very much with a lot of businesses, it's always super, there's a super impetus on trying to get something out as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And the nice thing about us coming in is that we're in no kind of real rush We want you to get your product out, but our priority isn't just get the product out the door. Mm -hmm. We want you to get the best product out the door. So it takes a very different attitude. And I really kind of enjoy having that opportunity. I think my favorite part of Firmly is the ability to connect to 
all the breweries that are out there, I think when you ran your own brewery, you kind of, you're stuck in your own bubble. You have so mm -hmm. much going on in what you have to do day to day that you don't, yeah, you get together, you have fun, you have beer fest, you drink, you, you relax, but you don't really get to understand the operations behind what's going on with big and small. As it turns out, quite honestly, the biggest breweries have this, the, some of the most smaller brewery problems that you wouldn't think would happen. Things like playing as QAQC, when you have a staff of 15 people as opposed to a staff of two, you start seeing kind of the human factor when it mm -hmm. comes to, into a, a, a creating a very organic product called beer. So uh, we were surprised by, I think, some of the bigger breweries that we work with that are like, hey, we need help with this. We don't know what's going on here. I'm like, should that be a five barrel brewery problem? No, these guys are 10,000 barrels and they're having the same issues. So it's interesting to kind of, for me, learn, learn that when I didn't really know all the stuff behind the scenes back when we were running on brewery because we mm -hmm. were so focused on what we were doing. Well, I know not every day is going to be the same, but what's kind of a, a typical day to day for, for the two of you? Well, yeah. uh, it's a, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's, some, totally different. there's some mornings where we start off with doing dissolved oxygen testing for a few hours at a brewery, and then we go do sample pickups, or there's the days where we just do sample pickups and we get stuff in the mail, and then we kind of just move forward with um, making sure that everything lines up with what we have in the portal. If there's any questions, if there's issues, making sure that we stay in connection with the brewer, um, especially when it's a mailed sample. And yeah, then we get to work. We start unpackaging everything and getting those samples lined up, uh, especially if it's something that's come to us in a bottle or a can. We try and keep it. We also come from the attitude of BJCP and Cicerone, where you want to kind of analyze when you open it, how does this beer behave? or any kind of fermented beverage, because if you do have something exploding, that's usually not a good sign. And we're probably going to end up, especially if they didn't choose to have any kind of uh, extra testing done, like we might be like, hey, so just so you know, give them that little extra bit of information, mm -hmm. whether or not they may have already known about it, or uh, it might be something that their customers may encounter later, at least they're aware of it. And then we move forward with, uh, basically doing alkalizer, UV viz, QPCR, plating, whatever is on the docket for that day. Uh, it's, it's never, you never really get to sit down. Mm -hmm. It's never the same day, like you right. said. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it really it's never isn't. the same day. <laughs> and some days we'll spend like an hour on the phone explaining uh, results to brewers because we don't want to leave them hanging with, oh yeah, so here's your information, have a good day. And they're like, cool, I have no idea what this information means and how did you get the original gravity? Because I didn't give that to you. And it's like, cool, so we have these really awesome equations that get done. And it's based off of these equations, based off this information that we got from your finished beer. And um, here are all the equations to get to there. And uh, this will make your eyes bleed. But you know how we got it. and that we didn't like sit there and sneak something. It's, we just, we are working with the information that we are given. If you did something wrong, you would know that better than I, than we would. Do you, how, do you know off the top of your head a breakdown of are most of your customers new or on a monthly regular basis mix? As far as revenue goes, it's about 50-50 at this point mm -hmm. yeah. with our recurring revenue, that regular subscribers, 
the monthlies and between micro and everything else. And then the other half is the a la carte. And right now we have a significant amount of customers that are, it just keep it just comes in daily. There's basically. a difference between the proactive and the reactive, and, and it definitely really know that. is mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> probably about fifty percent of it is yeah, definitely proactive, and then the other fifty is reactive or people getting ready to move forward with a new project or piece of equipment in their brewery, and they kind of want an eval before moving forward with some kind of purchase like that. Do you have? Like any stories about any projects that you guys have worked on that you want to share? Uh, <laughs> so Put you many. on the spot uh, there. <laughs> it's, so it's, many. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like sometimes everyone wants to go through and think that maybe they, it's, it's very hard for us to try and deal, address with the fact that we don't like pointing fingers and mm-hmm. we like to, for all the options before the blame game starts happening. It's the brewer's fault. It's the seller person's fault. Like, it's the monsters. It's, it's the it's yeast companies. And sometimes we have to sit there and go like, hey, you know, sometimes, you know, mistakes happen and it's okay. And as long as we figure out where those mistakes are happening. They can be fixed. It's And sometimes it's a very simple, like, oh, you're purged. You need to purge a little bit differently. Or uh, it looks like this particular hose got run over by a forklift. So you might want to replace it. Uh, or in some cases, if it really is process, it's a very different conversation. And we try and have that as more of a discussion about, okay, where are there areas for improvement rather than coming from the position of, we're going to tell you what's wrong and then we're going to completely excuse ourselves from the conversation because that's not going to be productive because nobody wants someone to come in point fingers at them and then just be like cool so i just caused all this drama and (laughs) i'm going to go away good luck you guys it's we we try and be more present and accountable when it comes to those types of things and if a brewer has questions or an owner has questions be able to answer them not just say like oh i just don't want to deal with this and walk away and that's, I think, a huge thing that differentiates us from just you sending something to another um, a lab that just happens to be at your closest brewery. You want to get more information because if you get that information without context, without knowledge, without any kind of assistance backing it up, it, it can turn into the blame game. And we really don't want to enable that because there's enough trouble that can happen and brewing is difficult. It's not easy on the body, and we would like it to be a little bit easier on the mind by not having to worry about whether or not you get to keep your job or having someone knee-jerk into making a poor decision. Okay, moving back on to some fun stuff. You guys do a lot of collabs, right? Do a lot of brewing with other breweries. What's your favorite part of the brewing process? I think... uh... I mean, leading up to it, just the discussion of what mm-hmm. we should do, right? Mm-hmm. The sky's the limit. And we, for me, my favorite thing is actually gaining knowledge. I think every brewer has their own, I wouldn't say their secret sauce, but uh, when it comes to certain ways of brewing or working with an ingredient, we recently learned how to handle um, macadamia, nuts. Mac- macadamia nuts in, in a beer and how they roast it, how they minimize the oil on it to get better retention. Little things like that, just mm-hmm. tidbits of trying something new, or they lean on us because we've done our breweries do a lot of adjuncts, uh, namely spices and things like that. So tea. we're tea and spices, which is a topic where when we brew tea beers, all the brewers like, 
how'd you make your tea beer so good? And um, how did you not get all the tannins? How like what's your process? How do so you we, avoid infection? Right. We so we had our secret sauce basically on how to work with that um, on a on a beer that was an honorable mention of World Beer Cup. So we're pretty proud of that beer. It was our flagship and a top seller, and we were able, lucky enough, to redo it exactly again as one of our collabs. And it really wasn't a collab. It was basically me telling the brewers, this is how you brew the beer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was less of a collaboration than mm -hmm. you're doing it this way yeah. or else. <laughs> because I'm not changing this beer. So, and we can't change that beer. So I think, you know, for, for us, just to be back in the brew house again, just to be able to get our hands dirty and smell just the, where brewing hits all your senses, right? You have your, you, you feel the heat, you're you're there with the mashing out, you're touching the grains, you're smelling everything, you smell the hops when you put it in. All that, I think, is something that I enjoyed a lot over the almost 10 years brewing, professional brewing. So, and then, yeah, just being in it again, I think, is my favorite part. Mm -hmm. But yours, Emily? Um, I like the sense of community and just, you know, it's a great opportunity to talk about kind of things that are concerns, that are worrisome. Because everybody seems to have this one story where it's like, yeah, we dumped a beer because of this issue. <laughs> because of this. Or, and they're like, uh, it kind of like had this problem or this problem. And then being able to kind of like, all right, well, you know, like hindsight's twenty twenty, And uh, let's talk about maybe what kind of may have happened and help you kind of figure out maybe how to avoid it in the future. And hopefully we will never have this conversation again. Because <laughs> um, it's kind of nice to, to sit there and have them be like, oh, I have all this knowledge that's just sitting mm -hmm. right here. And I can just ask them questions. And they're not. And it's like, yep, well, you're giving me beer. And we're hanging out and we're brewing on your system. So yeah, you can ask me anything you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then speaking of community, you guys are involved with... Uh, your guild and Emily, you're on some new uh, volunteer positions that you've just started, right? Yes, I am a chapter leader for the Pink Food Society in Denver. I'm doing specifically membership coordination. So when we get new members, I talk with them, um, making sure that they're introduced to the uh, platform so that they can have a secure way of communicating. Uh, Facebook is great, but unfortunately, we don't own any of the information that ends up on there. And especially considering some of the sensitive subjects that come up for women in brewing, we wanted a little bit more protection to be there and some security. So uh, I help introduce them to that, as well as talk with lapsing members and really try and reach out and find out what is it that you really feel is necessary or of value in this community and what are the things that you would like to see and i also do that partially as um working also on the membership task force the education task force and uh the diversity equity and inclusivity committee as well as i just took on a secretary role for the rocky mountain district uh, master brewers association of the americas uh which is uh, an interesting foray because it, it feels like there's there's just this real need to connect with how brewers are becoming more blue collar rather than white collar brewing used to be something that people treated as kind of a uh afterthought a hobby that they did aside from their white collar job and so we're 
encountering now more brewers that have gotten a degree in fermentation science that have spent years working in the industry um and that used to be somewhat uncommon that used to be like you know you'd have your um uh, keith villas you went, to, you went and worked with the bigger breweries yeah after you get, get your formal education and that's kind of the path you get a job at anheuser bush or miller coors or paps and you go on from there right mm -hmm. so and it's changed so much it's changed a ton so now it's like okay what what are the what are the things that these smaller breweries need what are they looking for what are what do they really want out of a community and i mean the master brewers association it's um we brew together and it's like well we need to start really connecting with this younger group of brewers that are coming into the community. How do we make them feel like they are of value and that they have something to say in comparison to the problems that these gigantic breweries are encountering? Not saying that they aren't big problems, but they also have the ability to dump a beer and kind of absorb a cost. Smaller breweries don't have that option and they need and there needs to be an access and more accessibility to those kinds of resources, but also reaching out to people and making sure that they feel seen and heard. It's the same kind of thing that, frankly, I think a lot of state guilds encounter where they have their big regional breweries and they put a lot of money into these guilds. But you can't dismiss the ones that are the smaller ones that really want really need help and they need the support of what's happening on a state level and a national level in terms of uh, labeling alcohol laws, consumption permits. There's so much more to dive into and we need to make sure that people are able to get those kinds of resources and feel seen. For brewers who don't have their own lab or their own quality program, what is something that you wish that they knew about quality control or working with a an independent lab? I think that some of the biggest takeaway we, we've learned from doing all of this is that we really believe that quality should be in your entire, it shouldn't just be your quality staff. Quality is, should and be shared. Everybody's on the quality Everyone's team. Everyone's on the quality yeah. team. Everyone has sensory, everyone has knowledge, can learn it. Everyone should know your products. Everyone should be able to point out what's going on. If there's changes, it's all part of quality control, right? It's the same thing that we want to constantly do. But again, you want everyone to buy into this. Everyone yeah. should, should be involved in quality. I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And something I was chatting with and chatting about last night, actually with, um, in one of the communities was, you know, Meditation has been proven to be so incredibly beneficial to men mental health, empathy, happiness, how you approach your daily life. But how many people actually meditate on a daily basis? Like this is something that's scientifically proven to help you have a better life. And how many people actually take the time for it out of their day? Most people don't. Quality is something that is proven to help improve your beers. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people won't even put in the free resources they have, which is their palate, right. to make sure that that is going to be the best product that they can put out there. It's it's like it's scientifically proven. If you taste it and you taste something off, chances are you're not wrong. There's something different. And maybe it's time to analyze it. And that costs you nothing. Guess what? Meditation, you don't need a fancy app. You can just sit there and go into it. 
and it's going to help you in the long run. So enabling a QAQC program, even on the basis of what can be done for free, can make a huge difference. And having access to kind of our resources, think of us kind of like the app that you use, like Calm or Headspace. It's like, okay, it's affordable and it keeps you accountable and it helps you have more access to resources that can help you have a better meditation experience will we'll help you have a better QAQC experience. Yeah. So where would you, do you have any advice for someone looking to then start their program? Like any specific resources to, to check out or kind of where is, would be a good place to start? Well, we, structure is important when it comes mm -hmm. to QAQC, right? It's the same thing with brewing. The, the better you keep your records, the the more actionable data, back to data again, right? You need to be mm -hmm. able to see your data and be able to do something with it. We yeah. love Draft Lab. Yeah. When it comes to sensory, it's a great tool, great mm -hmm. resource to have. And it's on your phone. It's easy to use. Anybody can use it at any time. And a lot more platforms are coming out with ways <clears throat> to track any kind of information from batch to batch. So it's like looking at things like Beer 30, how can you... Um, make some of this data actionable over time and how can you integrate that into your brew house processes is really something that is incredibly useful because frankly it's not that much of a priority in certain certain platforms and that's very evident because it's like oh well we have more of this but we don't have anything on quality well they're going according to they're building their platform according to what everybody's thinking about, which is how do I make money, not how do I avoid losing it in the long run. And so you can, so we really like to support um, any kind of app or platform that's really going to sit there and have even an aspect of quality. Right. And so anything that has sensory or places where you can input that information, that data over time and learn from it, so much better. Right. And like I said, some of my favorites, Beer 30, so one of my favorites, uh, Draft Lab is also great. Uh, just two at the top of our heads as far as platforms that really can help easily and inexpensively help your brewery to be more consistent and make better products. And also the accessibility of the people that are running those platforms, they really make it incredibly important to educate if you have questions. They're present for improvements, for feedback. Yep. It's like, Sorry. oh, hey, I don't know how to do this cool, there actually is a way to do this, or, oh, we don't have that feature, but you know what? That seems pretty important, so we're going to add that in for our next maintenance or update. So there's that's a great thing is, is that the ability to have better quality is still evolving. And as that, as that evolves, so does a conversation. It's no longer, and it's becoming less and less pointing fingers and more and more okay, there's something wrong with our process or there's something I didn't train you on or maybe we just learned something new and this isn't your fault. Let's work on this together and taking on more of that team aspect. All right. I'm sure the three of us could talk about quality all day long, but let's <laughs> sure we can. wrap it up here. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add? Not really. Um, I, I think... Amy, you know this. I think the conversation needs to start with every brewery asks, how how would you, how can you integrate quality into your part of your brewery? Make that part of your process. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to do it? What's the most, where where 
can what can you handle financially? What can you handle time wise? Just do it. And this example of meditation is great. You're investing in yourself, mm-hmm. invest in your brain, like you always have. Yeah, you can see the equipment. You can. I got a tank that makes more beer. Great, but what comes out of it's more important than what's where it's in right now, mm-hmm. right? So I think for breweries, there should be a every place should have a conversation of how can we have quality be part of our brew process. I think that's a big question. Yeah, like the the meditation analogy too, because I feel like quality a big part of that is just that mindset too, and yes. you know coming from it with the yeah, it's important. Yeah, <laughs> it's often it overlooked. Is. Yeah, it is. So you feel think, free to use that. <laughs> and I think a lot of I think a lot of breweries. I get it. We were we we were there mm-hmm. before, right? Small brewery owner or big brewery owner. There's so many moving pieces right and as an owner or a brewer you start taking on these tasks that weren't in your quote-unquote job description that you didn't mm-hmm. think you had to know how to do and it's great that you may pick up knowledge along the way but it's something you still have to learn and do and that takes a lot of your time and so you kind of start putting things on the wayside we've known so many brewery build outs where the brewers know about quality they want to build a lab they have room for a lab and then it got value engineered out because the flooring costed 50% more than it should have, and they needed to have that. So mm-hmm. the lab got cut out. And then that's usually the first thing that goes is a quality yeah. lab. There are always aspirations. We want mm-hmm. quality, yeah. Great, cool, it's in the budget. And then that budget gets blown away by something construction related. Well, it's like time investment. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, like, yeah. what am I gonna invest time in? I'm gonna invest time in stainless. I'm not going to invest time in sitting there and really analyzing what are the strengths and weaknesses of my palate because that's something that you have to work on constantly but it's easier it's more actionable to buy something right and you can see it in front of you right there's an intrinsic tangible it's tangible right there's an intrinsic value to quality that isn't necessarily going to show up with more money in your banking account right it will in the long run because you're gonna sell more beer but you don't see that Mm mm-hmm and you don't see what you've avoided. Like, oh, you avoided dumping a batch of beer. You don't even realize you avoided that. Right. So I think there's, that's, um, and again, that's a mindset. Yep. I think that's something that as we do more of this, there's more, the conversation's getting easier. Mm-hmm. More people talk about, especially COVID, mm-hmm. just having issues with canning and packaging has been such an eye-opener for most breweries where the conversation prior to March 2020 was, well, my batches change all the time and I get different beer, so and I don't I care. And I can accommodate that. And, and I don't care. So that's my model. And if I have to dump a beer, oops, uh, it's not a big deal. And, and that changed dramatically last yeah. year. Yeah. So I think it's good. I mean, it's, everything sucks with all that happening, but I think to have that conversation and have enough more brewers talk about quality as a, as a part of the brew process, I think is really elevating, improving our industry. And I love seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think COVID's a good example too of just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I mean, right. I guess, you know, we did have global pandemic, you know, back in the early 1900s, but uh, just because we hadn't experienced one didn't mean it wasn't going to happen. Just like, just because you haven't had an infected batch of beer doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Yeah. And we, well, we have like, the same mindset. We had, well, we had it's like sure a ourselves. friend of ours actually sat there and said, there are two kinds of breweries. There are breweries that have micro problems and breweries that will have micro problems. And breweries that have a problem, but they don't know it yet. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's are, plenty of those. Plenty of lots of those. Those are the worst ones. Yeah. When it's like, what is going on? Yeah, that's happening right now yeah. with a client of ours. So, and then you take drastic actions and it's very disruptive to your business. Why would you do that? Right? And then they all, in hindsight, going, man, we really need to start doing quality and doing checks now. Well, yeah, you should have done this from the start. You wouldn't have had this problem if you did mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you would have spent less money and time if you were doing this regularly than trying to be reactive and throwing things at the wall, see what sticks and figure out what the problem is. Well, like that's an, a rabbit hole. Because an ounce of prevention is worth in like yeah. a barrel of forgiveness. And sometimes it's a, it's a rabbit hole. We micro, we're talking about bacteria here. We're mm-hmm. talking about things you can't see with your eyes. But let's find it no, <laughs> in a giant can't. brewery. You can't see it with your eyes, but you can definitely experience it. Right. right. Let's, <laughs> let's find it in your brewery and see where it came from. And like, wow, right? The time mm-hmm. and effort and money sometimes that takes is way more than you, even if you started paying for quality from get-go, you're spending more money now than you would have added up from all that. So mm-hmm. it's become pretty apparent to a lot of brewers right now that that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yes. all right well where can listeners find more about firmly um well we have uh, www.firmly.com but you can also reach to us on uh social media at firmly no on instagram and firmly llc on facebook and then um i also run um a personal instagram that is focused on beer and different kinds of beer adventures as well as education and opportunities as well as highlighting people that i think um are really amazing in this industry and that would be at fermentable sugar on instagram all right well thank you so much for being on i'll talk to you both later thank you thanks for listening to this week's episode If you're looking for more quality tips, check out Season 1 of Check Your Beer, where I'm joined by Julie Smith of Lawson's Finest Liquids. Also check out Zymologylabs.com for more resources and blog posts.